In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Life is a downward escalator. And so if you're not making, if you're not trying or making progress or moving forward, you're going to be inevitably sliding down. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Guys, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with Dale Culver, my good friend of many, many years gone by, and the producer of this show. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's just like uh, your marriage when you say it's uh, been 30 years of bliss. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, at least you have, I mean, yeah, our guest, his his wife has a, a name that sounds like a dude. I was a little bit concerned when I first read his bio, so, so, uh, <laughs> and I went over to his Instagram. He's got a huge following on Instagram. I was like, oh, his wife is a gorgeous woman, which uh, was very encouraging. <laughs> so is that anyway, why he's got so, the big following? That is why, maybe, no, I don't know. He's got some good stuff going on, man. I am actually really excited about this guy. He's only a year older than my oldest son, and he's a younger guy. Uh, but I, but you know what? I love getting those guys on our show. One, I want to put the young guys on a pedestal, put them on the platform, put them on our shoulders, and, and uh, launch them into uh, their ministry. Uh, but the other thing is he wrote a, a real cool small little book on hope, and it was really, really powerful. There's some great insight. And we live in a day and age, man, where people need hope. We have this pandemic that's just been has killed. You know, I think in America they're saying five hundred thousand lives, and uh, you know we're you know a lot of people are you know the election has just come and gone, and there are still people you know worked up over the election. We're just in a place where we need hope, and this guy uh, is a positive guy. He brings hope, and I'm really excited to bring him on the show. So hey, but before we do, I want to encourage our listeners to go on over to menarena.org. We just put back on the website because of your demands. Uh, my ebook, Guts and Manhood, Four Irrefutable Attributes of Courage, and that's going to be on there, so you can grab that. And we'll do that for, I don't know how long we'll do that, maybe a month or two. And so we just want to bless you guys. And uh, we had one group had me speak at their uh, meeting. They had like 30 guys on a Zoom call, and they all printed the book and showed me the book. 
So they mailed me a copy of the book I wrote. It was a little <laughs> embarrassing. Anyway, so head on over there, guys. Hey, Dale, you got a man word for us today? I do. Dude, stop. If you say hope, you're fired. Vanilla. If the man word, if the man word is hope, it's over. No, it's not hope. I like. Okay. I like this one. It's catalyst. No. It's catalyst, isn't no, it? I guess. You know it, it is. is. It's optimism. Oh. Oh. Yes. I like to got think me. that I'm optimistic. Um, look, you look are on the positive side. Hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. You know, whenever you and I plan a big events and stuff, you know, our wives are freaking out because of, and the rest of our team. And we just go, ah, it's going to work out. Don't worry about it guys. And we always, we always do well. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, you are, I you are a very positive to be optimistic guy. than to be negative and just think, oh, the world's going to end. I'm going to go hang out with Eeyore, you know? So. Well, I think you're. I think you're positive, and you are. You're one of the most positive people I know. I think having a positive outlook is a result of a guy who has hope. Mm. And when we lack hope or we lack trust, we seem to see the world as a half-empty glass. And so, I think that's a powerful word today. And so, thank you for that. Speaking of hope, you know, our ministry. We're all about helping men become their best version. We believe when a man gets it, everyone wins. And so we love to hear your hero stories. We love to to get your reviews uh, about this podcast so we can celebrate those with the men from 122 nations that downloaded this podcast last year. So keep sending those to us. Uh, so do you have one, Dale? Do you have a hero story today? And when you send that, guys, we will uh, celebrate your hero story because you are the heroes, and we will uh, send you some swag. Sweet. Yeah, I have one, Jim. It's uh, Scott from – Well, well, well. thank you, Dale. Yeah. I, I, mm -hmm. At least we're not canned yeah. here. Okay. This is Scott from Oregon. <laughs> Oregon. It's Oregon. <laughs> uh, this, we are the one state in the country that is very, very liberal voting, but, man, do not mess with the guns yeah. in Oregon. Yeah, that's right. I am not kidding you. So, okay. So he said, I think you nailed it from the opening pages to the conclusion. Courage is four things. A, personal choice, character trait, uh, two is a character trait, three, call to action, and four, a sign of strength. I will re be returning to the meat of this book over and over again. So thank you for that, Scott. Oh, that's cool. Send us uh, your info. Email us at info at and uh, we'll hook up and send you some stuff. And I don't mean hook up like go out to dinner or anything, but, you know, there you go. Man, that was rough. That was rough. <laughs> hey, today I want to bring our guest on the show, our new friend, Thane Marcus Ringler. He is 28 years old, and he was married to his beautiful wife of one year, Evan Ryan Ringler. And so, yeah, I, I was joking earlier. I went on the in his Instagram page. I was like, Evan Ryan? Who is this guy married to a dude? And she's a she's a. I was very encouraged, uh, Thane. She's a beautiful uh, woman. Uh, so good job. Uh, the key word is woman. And so uh, uh, yeah. So congratulations on your one year COVID wedding. But let me let me read about Thane here. So Thane is a former professional golfer. He has turned speaker, writer, and development coach. He hosts the Up and Comers Show, which is a podcast about the process of becoming and living with intentionality. Today, we are talking about his his new ebook called Catalyst for Hope: Unlocking Energy, Optimism, and Your Full Potential. I'm really excited to dive into this book 
But before we do that, welcome to our show, Thane. It's really awesome to have you on the show, man. It's great to be here, you guys. It's been fun uh, watching you with the intro here, and, and I love the energy and uh, just the fun you guys have with this outlet, along with the impact you're creating, uh, which is, I think, understated, to say the least. So I appreciate your work and your hearts in that. Yeah, thanks. And, dude, he's got a great voice for radio. Yes, he does. <laughs> and he's even handsome, Dale. I mean, we got a great voice, but we're like ugly guys. So it's good to have you on the show, man. And, and I just really appreciate... Uh, Sometimes when you're older, I'm 55, right? So my oldest son is turning 28 here uh, in March. You forget what it was like when you were younger. And so I really appreciate what you're bringing to the table and your wisdom and uh, humility. And I think you've got some great things to say. And I really enjoyed your book. You had some some real cool twists to the book. And it was the way you wrote it was engaging and it was catchy, uh, yet it was deep uh, and it caused me to think. And so, uh, you know, from a guy who reads about 50 books a year, I think your book was the 16th book I've read this year so far. I really did enjoy it. And I really liked the short books because I could read them faster. Yes. So thanks for that book, man. I think it's a message that we really need to hear today. A question you sent that to me in a PDF. Is this a physical book or is it an ebook? It's both now, so it's oh, available cool. on Amazon, physical or ebook. It started out as an ebook, and now it's both. Um, so, yeah. And so, what's the word count? About fifteen thousand. I can't remember the word count off the top of my head, but it, the actual book is like eighty pages long. So. Yeah, it was about an hour read for me. So, for guys that don't like to read, this is perfect. Mm -hmm. And so, I really. So, what I'm going to do, Thane, is we're going to just we're going to we're going to throw you into the fire in just a second. But before we do. I want you to give our readers some background and history. Who are you? What makes you tick? What are some things you enjoy? Just give us some context. Totally. Yeah. Uh, you said it well. You know, I'm a, I'm a young man, uh, and I hail from Kansas, so the, the middle ah. of America. Uh, that's where I grew up, Hutchison, Kansas, small town USA, great place to, to grow up. Um, and I ended up going to college in L.A. at the Master's University of Christian School out there. Oh, yeah. Um, played golf for them, uh, and then ended up turning professional and competing for about four years uh, on different developmental tours across the U.S. and then overseas in the One Asia Tour for a season. Uh, a lot of great experiences. Um, really was a challenging pursuit. You know, I can't imagine, for me, doing anything more challenging on the personal development standpoint than trying to be successful as a professional golfer. Most people, it takes seven to ten years to get to the PGA Tour. I never really reached the PGA Tour. I didn't reach the goal that I set out to accomplish. Um, but God still used that and redeemed it and, and led to me doing the work that I'm doing today. Um, so after uh, the first half of my career was really mental battles, figuring out my mind and how to optimize it in difficult situations with a lot of pressure and, and circumstances. The second half was the physical struggles. My body started failing on me a bit. I had muscle strain in my left rhomboid that repeated five times over a year and a half. So it, it led to me being sidelined and figuring out, is it golf or is it something else that God's calling me to? And as I sat with that, asked that question, meditated and sought counsel, uh, it really became clear I could be more effective outside the world of golf than within it, just how he's wired me, the experiences he's given me, and what I feel called to and passionate about. And so I decided to pivot, and uh, it's been a, an interesting journey ever since the last four years of figuring out entrepreneurship and what wearing these different hats look like and how to make it uh, impactful for others, but also sustainable for myself and now my family, as you mentioned. So it's been a, a really fun, interesting, and learning uh, journey for me, and, and I've got a long ways to go, but I'm really grateful for, for what it's held so far. 
Well, that's cool, man. So now, just a point of clarification. In my brain, I'm running through the rhomboid, and I can't for the life of me. I think that's down in the glute area, but I can't remember. Where's it's the rhomboid? In, it's kind of the shoulder blade, basically. Oh, it's a hey, small was... muscle that attaches the shoulder blade to the to the spine, I believe. Um, and it's it was when the swing, it's like right through impact is where it pulls through. So very golf specific. Um, but yeah, not quite in the glutes. <laughs> it's yeah, a tough I was one. like, it's a small I was muscle. like, I was like, way, way off. So the psoas, <laughs> the psoas muscle in the glutes, that's easy to memorize. Mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, the rhomboid, okay, rhomboid. All right, well, there we go. Hey, I got a question for you, man. So you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me rephrase that. You're a follower of Jesus, and so you're a professional. We're a professional golfer, and we know the mental game that goes there. How did you balance the mental human potential aspect of the game with your faith in Christ? Where's the balance? I mean, in your book, you you love to find balances, this versus that. Where's the balance between the mental side of it and the mind for Christ? It's a great question. I love that question because it's such a long journey to try and find an answer to it. And there really isn't a final answer to it. Mm. I think that the, the, the beauty of living intentions is that they're never fully resolved. You know, you don't, if you resolve it, you're on one side or the other, and that's not necessarily the place we want to be. So for me, you know, I, I had to deal with one, a reckoning in my own life. So for me, I, I, I lived a life with a lack of integrity for about seven years, starting in high school, where I said one thing and did another. Ah. Uh, and, you know, as a follower of Jesus, you can say you, you claim to be, but you living that out is a much different thing. And so for me, uh, I started this wayward journey in high school where I'd say one thing and do another and thought I could get away with both. And, and God really brought me back to him in, in college through... You know, over those seven years, he was constantly, you know, trying to wake me up, and I didn't listen, and I was too hard-headed and hard-hearted. Um, but finally, in college, he he really broke me of that by exposing a lot of that hypocrisy um, through just a, a a moral failure with our team, where I was a captain of the golf team junior year, and we made decisions that broke school rules and were just not helpful, and led to us missing out on nationals my senior, my junior, and my senior year. Uh, as a result, and really, what it what it did was expose this lack of integrity in my life to all those who I cared about. And so, from that point on, it really was a new journey with what you're talking about of mental uh, of mental strength, with also a reliance on Jesus. And so, I had to relearn how to live with integrity in that pursuit and compete as a golfer with a more um, honest. And, and real relationship with Jesus. Uh, and that was a really hard struggle for me in those first couple years because it is this confidence you're trying, this unshakable confidence you're trying to build in yourself while at the same time knowing that it isn't you, it's God through you, right? And there's that tension. So um, finding how, how to compete in that takes a lot of practice. And I think it really involves uh, holistic integration. So it's saying, look, I, my goal is to integrate my faith, belief in God into all aspects of my being. Um, and that explicitly means in the golf world, I know that um, all things are for my good and his glory. And it's from um, his direction and, and proddings that I get to experience this now. And my stewardship of that is to do the best that I can. And so I'm going to discipline my mind. I'm going to create systems and structures that will help me produce my best results, not for my glory, but for his. Uh, and for me, the thing that I that limited me in that pursuit 
the most was my overbearing, uh, my my tendency to be overly responsible, I guess is the best way to say it. Because I, I had investors, so I formed a business plan around myself and I got in, uh, was blessed with investors pouring in their money to help me pursue this goal with hopefully the return financially down the road. I took on too much responsibility for that money. I was overly stewarding that, meaning I put more pressure on myself to perform because I didn't want to let them down. And, and I think that limited my performance. I know it limited my abilities on the course. So a lot of that was relearning that that what God provides isn't this duty or obligation. He provides this freedom, right? And that's like the what Jesus provides is freedom uh, from that I need to acquire, achieve, or accomplish all these things, which I'm already naturally wired for. Uh, so he is like doubly providing that freedom. And that was my journey in golf too, is figuring out how do I play out of freedom and not out of duty or obligation? Because that duty and obligation ends up hurting me, especially mentally, when I beat myself up if I don't reach the lofty goals I set for myself. Yeah, that's really good, man. So uh, freedom versus obligation would be the same as saying religion versus relationship. And so there is, and I, I really appreciate your, your statement of this holistic integrity and, and integration, which is, you know, to, to bring the whole man to the game, uh, mind, body, spirit, and to give God the glory. And I think that's really cool, man, because God puts us on display. This is a, I think this is a, something the church shrinks back at, right? They say, oh, no, no, you shouldn't be on display. You should be humble and meek and anonymous. And I totally disagree. I think that God wants to put his men on display, but he wants men to put him on display who will put him on display. Mm -hmm. So we're not the end game, right? The end game is not to, to make money golfing. The end game is to glorify Jesus. So I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your book. Your book, uh, you call it a book of hope. But when I read it, it, it the, uh, kind of a sidebar is it's a book of tension. Mm -hmm. You you draw out a lot of tensions, and we live in a life in a lot of ways. Uh, our faith is paradoxical in nature. Our life is paradoxical in nature. Can you unpack uh, some of these paradoxes uh, and how they weave through your book? Totally. You know, it's been fun that, as you mentioned earlier, the podcast I do is is really we the, my co-founder of it, Adam, who I went to college with. He coined this. A phrase having intention in the tension uh, because life has these tensions that we live in these paradoxes and and we can't reconcile them fully but we can live with intentionality in the midst of them and so that was kind of um the the mantra we coined from that but it really it has been on my mind a lot over the last four or five years and um and as i wrote this book you know i think when i think about concepts and ideas i think about you know what I believe, but then I also think about kind of the opposite argument, and I think there's truth in both of those often. And a lot of times, God is in the middle of these kind of extremes, um, especially in our, and that's what faith is, right? It's holding the tension and saying, "I still believe," and I'm not going to rest on either extreme. Um, and so, with hope, it, it comes down to I kind of wrote it with alliteration in mind, with the four different elements of P's in a sense. So, in process, um, progress, possibility, and purpose. Uh, are the uh, are the four P's, and really, it's just these these um, shifts in our perspectives, these reframings of the way we see something that can unlock a lot of hope, which then produces 
a lot of energy, a lot of optimistic outlook, as we were talking about earlier, and, and a lot of motivation and fuel to keep moving forward. Because especially as men, as you guys highlight so well with your show, uh, God has called us to be, I love how um, Andy Crouch puts it, uh, creators and cultivators of culture, right? So we're creating and then we're cultivating, taking care of. And as men, uh, we have a, a kind of a, a baton to take charge and, and bring that into fruition and, and live committed to that calling. Um, and, and I think the bane of, of man's existence is passivity and that you see that all yep. throughout the early scriptures, right? With starting with Adam, moving all the way through every founding father of our faith. <laughs> so we're yeah, not alone in that. That's the battle, you know? Um, and so with these perspectives, it's saying, look, even in a year like COVID, um, even in a year where so many things are different or, or going opposite of what we'd hoped or expected, there's still hope to be found in that. So in process, right? The fact that we are all in process, that the journey isn't over yet, that God's not finished with us yet. That is something that brings so much hope. And that, that means even if I just took a step backwards, it's not over yet. I'm still in process. I still can make strides and gain and grow, and I will because I know God is faithful in that. And so we can see something that's negative or harmful or feels like a failure and realize, but it's not over yet, right? Like we're still in the journey. We're still on the process of becoming. And, and that unlocks so much hope in just a simple way. Um, and I can go through all of them if you'd want, but that, that's just one example. Well, I think that's really important, man. You know, Philippians 1, 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So I think that's important, man, that we're all in process. Okay, you lost your job during COVID, or you lost a loved one during COVID, or your your candidates didn't win the election, or, or you're too fat, or too this, or too that. We are all in process, and it ain't over till it's over. So that is a huge catalyst of hope. Your second one is not only are we in process, but we need to see the progress mm -hmm. can you unpack that one yeah you know i think we we all have a tendency to have lofty ideas of what progress looks like we have a tendency to think that progress looks like giant leaps forward and so because of that i have to like set myself up for this massive leap to the 10th step of wherever i'm trying to go and that never happens there are no shortcuts um, to success there are no overnight leaps to the 10th step of where you want to be. And if we, we return to the idea and the understanding that progress happens by baby steps, by one step at a time that can be happened and made daily, that allows us the freedom to say, okay, you know what? My one goal today is to make one step forward. And that is attainable. And that is something that I'm going to do. I'm committed to doing that. And by doing that over a long period of time, we see a lot of progress. Uh, and so that's where that piece of reflecting and looking back and seeing the progress that we have made, because usually in the moment we don't feel it, you know, and as a golfer at a high level, this was especially true. You know, I spend hours and hours every single day working on my game, but you reach such a level to where seeing progress is almost impossible, right? I can... The progress is so small at that point that I can't tangibly see it. And that was hard. That was one of the hardest parts about being a professional is that I'm not tangibly, visibly seeing the progress every day that I'm making, which can be defeating. You have to trust that you are even in those moments. But, but most of the time for us, we won't see it as much in the day-to-day. -day. We just have to trust that taking one step is that process. Well, in your book, Thane, you said something, and I don't know the exact quote, but <clears throat> I thought it was powerful. You talked about baby steps, but you said that they're actually smaller than the baby steps. 
So, so how important is it to have someone like Evan, your wife in your life or a friend in your life to help you track those things that you can't see because they're so small, they're almost indistinguishable at times. Totally. Yeah. Having that, that outside person is objectivity. Ultimately, we are very subjective, yeah. especially in our view of ourselves. And, and so having a partner like my wife um, or having a really close brother or friend uh, like you're talking about is instrumental and monumental in being able to see ourselves clearly and to bring encouragement and hope. Because a lot of times, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I think most of us are usually our worst critic, right? We're hardest on ourselves. And, and the voice we hear is usually negative about ourselves. And I really struggle with celebrating wins. I, I'm, I'm not great at it. And, and so having someone to remind us, no, we need to celebrate this little win because that is a win, you know? And we need to recognize that. We need to know that, that God celebrates that with us too, you know? Um, and, and I think that is such an empowering, I love that you brought that up because that is such a necessary part of the journey in life that your community is helping um, men especially uh, remember and remind ourselves. It's not that we don't know this, it's just we need those reminders, right? I just remember this morning actually in Joshua, I was reading a little bit, and when they went through the the um, the Jordan River again, and and they and God parted the sea, uh, and at, at, at when they walked out, He commanded them to take twelve stones and say, "Carry these with you as a reminder." You know, and, and it's funny as like it's something rudimentary and simple. Of like we're going to carry these stones with us, and because why? Because they remind us of this insane thing that God did. Is like. Do you really need a reminder that he parted the Red Sea? I mean, that's the most insane thing you'll ever see in your life. Yeah, we still need that reminder because we forget and we get distracted and busy and all that. So I, I think it's really powerful to have people, like you're saying, to remind us that those little wins matter. Well, you know, it's interesting. <clears throat> I don't think he had them do that after the Red Sea. I think it was after they crossed the Jordan into the Promised Jordan. Land. Jordan, yep. That's so, so, so you bring up even a bigger point there, Thane, because... It's almost like God said, okay, they didn't remember the Red Sea. I parted an ocean and killed thousands of soldiers mm -hmm. and their horses. So now we're going to cross this little river, and they are going to they are going to build a pillar of 12 stones. I think that's huge. That's a huge teaching point, Evan. That was really good that here they didn't do it, but now here they're going to do it. Now here's, a, here's the flip side. And I know <clears throat> we want to be positive here. We want to talk about hope. But one of the things that I've noticed as a 55-year-old as a guy now is it's also a slow fade backwards. So the baby steps forward at a certain level, and the baby step backwards are, are all just as dangerous and just as indistinguishable. And I have found that we need guys with guts to see that slow fade so we can turn back around and begin that progress again. Have you seen a lot of that? Yeah. Great point. You know, I, I think one of the one of my mentors uh, back in college uh, at a Bible study made the the metaphor that life is a downward escalator. And so, if you're not making, if you're not trying or making progress or moving forward, you're going to be inevitably sliding down. Uh, and so, and he kind of referenced Colossians three as like up escalator and down escalator behavior, which is a great metaphor. And I still remember to this day. Is that good? Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Um, but you're, you're totally right that 
I, I love this idea of self-leadership and I, I create a couple uh, courses online for it because this idea that we are, we, we're so big on this idea of leadership, but we don't realize that if we don't start with ourselves first, then leading others won't be helpful either, usually for them or for, especially for us. Um, and I've experienced that for myself, as I mentioned earlier in college, I'm, I'm the captain of the golf team and I'm not leading myself well. It led to a failure for all of us. And that's really painful. Um, and so this idea of, of, of um, living with integrity and leading yourself well so that you can lead others well is really integral to all that I, I think about and work on now. And the key, one of the key fundamentals of that is discipline. Discipline is saying, I'm going to go up the path of most resistance because if we don't make a choice, we're going to be going downstream, right? If we don't make a choice, we're going to be floating down the current of life and life never is attached to our purpose or calling, right? It's usually working in opposition in our own selves within us do that too, as we know, right, from what God tells us about our flesh. And so this idea that discipline is saying, I'm going to go upstream, which requires effort and intention, that I have to paddle and I have to have a reason why I'm paddling or else I'm not going to. Um, and so if we don't make a choice, we're going to be going downstream, uh, which is why I think what you're saying with fading is so important. We don't recognize it when it happens, but over years of time, we end up as a person that we never imagined we would be. And, and it's especially discouraging for us as men, uh, because I think one of the core drivers for us as men is being committed to a higher calling that God has placed on our life. That is something that is pretty universal for men and, and for us to end up in a place that we never imagined because of the slow fade that you're talking about is one of the most disheartening places to be. And it means we're going to have to do a lot of harder work to dig out of, to get, to get back on path. You know, that's, <clears throat> that's really powerful, man. Guys, I want you to hear what he's saying. Live things don't drift downstream. That's what dead things do. Mm -hmm. And upstream is a battle. It's a it's progress. It's a fight. So that's your second catalyst of hope. Your third catalyst of hope is understanding. These are all the P's, right? Mm -hmm. Understanding the power of possibility. And then you write in your book that this helps us to tap into the full potential that lies within our souls. Can you unpack that? You know, it's funny. I, I think in America, we're so um, rational and logical based on science and reason that we fall into this realm of probability, which I contrast it with in the book. And I think um, to our detriment. Uh, so if we think about probability, it's a very scientific thing that the chances are this will happen and this won't happen. Uh, and a lot of times we operate our daily lives in that way, which again is much more of an adult thing versus a child thing. Children never think this way. They don't think in probabilities. They're just like all about the possibility. They live yeah, in that. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why God calls us, partly why God calls us back to becoming a child again. Like, I want you in awe and wonder of who I am so you can actually see and not be clouded by what you already think you know about me or the world. Um, and so this idea of possibility is kind of the counter, um, counter term to it is saying, look, there is so much more possible than we often give ourselves credit or especially God credit for. And if we can lean into and live in the possibility, then we can unlock a lot more potential within ourselves. You know, in golf, it's funny. It's like when you um, approach a shot in golf. So say there's 
um, water on the right and you've been missing your dry, your tee shots to the right a little bit. So when you get to that tee shot, you're saying, okay, don't hit in the water, don't hit in the water, don't hit in the water. That's a negative affirmation and it's going to lead to you hitting in the water, right? Yep, absolutely. And, and probability would even probably indicate that you would think that you probably will hit it in the water. But if you say, what kind of shot is possible? What do I want? What type of shot do I want to hit? And envision that and imagine that. It's amazing what the body can do. The body can execute a clear vision that you give it way more than following a negative affirmation because it will just go to the place you don't want it to go. Uh, so that's a kind of an illustration to say that by envisioning what is possible, not, not, and I think this is, um, this is what's important in possibility is knowing the distinction between what is improbable and what is impossible on the flip side. Yeah, for sure. You know, there are things that are impossible as humans, right? Running a three minute mile that is impossible. Is a four-minute mile impossible? Most likely, but it's more improbable than it's impossible because people have actually done it, right? So yes. for us to fly, that's impossible. But for us to run a fast mile, you know, that's improbable. We can maybe get there. So knowing that distinction is also really clarifying in what kind of – what the threshold of is is what is beyond our current grasp but not necessarily outside of our current reach. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate that. And you know what I found, Thane, is the – the older I get, the more I have to really understand the power of possibility because it's a greater challenge to see that. You talked about being like a child, right? And so the older we get, the more locked in we get. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to lose hope in this possible world that's in front of us because that world that's in front of us is getting smaller and smaller mm -hmm. and smaller. And so I really appreciate that because that really does give us hope. That gives us hope for, I have a, a friend of mine who's in his sixties who had to make a career change after 27 years and he was struggling with that. And now he's got renewed hope. And so I think mm -hmm. that's a very powerful, po uh, very, very powerful point when we talk about catalysts of hope. And your last one is, and I, I think in, in the book, you called this the superpower of men. And this is, and I think this is, this is a, this is a superpower. And guys, I want to let you know that you can go on over to episode 415 of the Men in the Rain podcast. I actually train guys in this, but this is the, this fourth catalyst is living on and for purpose. And in your book, you said this brings the route, this is, this brings the rally cry of hope front and center for each day that we are blessed with this beautiful dance of life. And that's just, just a powerful statement. Talk to us about purpose and manhood and hope. Hmm. Well, I, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. You know, like I think we all <laughs> have heard and understand purpose uh, as being um, vital to living a healthy life, especially as men. It's non-negotiable. It's an essential um, and, and in the way that I like to think about it is my goal with purpose, my, my calling or duty or responsibility with purpose is to live attached and aligned. And I think these two ideas are really helpful in the sense that attached means I'm, I'm, I have this North Star in that purpose that God's given and, and called us to. And my job is each part of my life, each part of my day is is attached. That it's it's connected in some way. It has some tie-in to that overarching purpose. That means like brushing my teeth means I'm gonna have better breath so I can better relate to my wife, or I can have healthier teeth so I can have less pain and better serve others. You know, all those simple things are attached 
and con- and connected to that purpose and then aligned is saying they're going in the direction of that purpose it's it's moving upstream right it's like going directionally towards that goal that calling that vision in front of you um and so it's both momentary but also trajectory it's it's moving and and, and that that focus helps us take this thing called purpose that I'm glad that you teach people on this because it can seem like we hear it a lot, but then we lose the meaning of it, right? And, and it's going to be specifically mean different things for for different people. But but the reality is that the actions of attaching and aligning are something that we can do daily. Uh, and if I do that well daily, which again, it's an if. It's not like it's um, I'm a human just like anyone else. There's days where I don't do a good job of this. Um, but when I do that daily, uh, my life is filled with so much hope. And that's not from me that's from god right like that is a gift that god has given is that there is unending purpose through what jesus has done in unlocking our lives and giving us the power by the spirit to unlock other people's lives uh, for kingdom and that is like the as much fuel as you can ever hope for in life (laughs) no that's that's so powerful man in your book you said this purpose cuts through the crap slicing through the noise and distractions of everyday life Noise produces confusion, and confusion can lead to aimlessness. Hmm. In modern day society, all we typically experience is the noise. And can I can I just call noise urgency? When we get locked into this world of doing the urgent things, that's the noise. And so this is really fun that I have you on the show today because I knew my why at twenty, hmm. and I wrote my why on paper at twenty eight, which is how old you are. So obviously, you know your why. My question is, Thane, how did you discover it? What processes did you go through? Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's been a journey. Uh, I love that you say that. You know, I think I think there's um there's definitely rhythms and cadences to it, but it does take time. I, I think that's the reality. Like, we don't just wake up one day and say, "Oh, this is it." I I think we we are on this path of discovering ourselves and discovering what God has said about us, and not what the world or the lies have said about us. Um, And so for me, when I was coming out of golf, I sat with the question, who have I been created, equipped, and called to be? Uh, And as I sat with it, it's a pretty holistic question in the sense that created is that natural wiring or talents or abilities God's given you from birth. Equipped is those life experiences you've had up to this point that are uniquely yours and that have shaped your worldview and perspective and ideas and, and skills. And then called is that passion, that fire within your soul that just will not die. Um, and, and when I sat with that, I really, um, felt called to be a voice to the next generation, which is this big, broad thing, you know, which typically they are, there's something broad, big, and you're like, I don't even know what that means. I I still don't know what that means. Um, but that kind of set me off on the direction or trajectory of what I've done today. And as I've gone down that path, I become more and more clear about what that is. And as I see it now, it's, it's much more a call to unlocking human potential of saying, look, there's a lot of people in our world. Um, who have their surviving needs taken care of, right? They're, they're existing, they're surviving, they're comfortable, but they're not doing anything with that. They're not using that for the good of those around them or even the good of themselves. And so my goal is to come alongside those people in that tier, in that group, and say there's more. There's more that is required of you because we need that more from you. We all need each other's individual giftings and talents and abilities. And my goal is to help unlock more people's giftings, talents, and abilities for the betterment of all of us and the world and ultimately kingdom. Um, And so that is something that has come through years 
after sitting, you know, I think there's this, this cadence, like you said, of like really sitting with yourself and discovering yourself and then taking steps forward. And as you take steps forwards, it will refine into clearer and clearer vision. We don't get that clear vision by just sitting and waiting for it. We need to take action. And that's the faith piece that God always calls us to. He's going to speak. He's going to talk. He's going to tell us. But it's not going to become clear until you take action on it. Well, yeah, speaking of action, on page 11 of your book, you said this. Just because we are in process doesn't mean there's a guarantee of progress. In fact, without intention paired with exertion, there's one of your hmm. paradoxes. I love it. There will be little chance of growth. And so I, I personally think, I see this as, a, as function over form, mm -hmm. words over action. Can you talk about the tension that men experience between intention? And I love the word exertion because when I hear that word, I'm hearing blood, sweat, tears, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, men in the arena speech, you know, talk to us about intention versus exertion. Yeah. You know, I think nowadays there's a lot of uh, more resources available for helping us think well about what it means to be a man, what it means to, to live on mission, what it means to be a good leader. You know, all these really fundamental things that we think about or face as men in our lives. And so we can start we can start having a really well-informed um, mindset, a well-informed knowledge base an idea and intellectual ability of discussing this, having a great conversation, right? Like this is really engaging and this is really all the mind and intention, right? But if I'm leaving this conversation with you guys and then going and not living at all what I'm talking to you about, if I'm not actually embodying this in my life, if the people in my community, my wife or the people that I know aren't saying, oh yeah, that's who he is. And they're saying, huh, he said that, but he's over here you know, just um, doing nothing with his life, sitting on his butt, not really making an impact in his community, not really trying to follow what he preaches. That has zero credibility, um, zero credibility, and it shouldn't have any credibility. Um, and so that intention plus exertion means that um, people are going to follow what you do way more than what you say. Um, and words are really cheap. Uh, they really are, uh, and and I've under I've lived the failure of that in many ways. I've experienced the fallout of that, and uh, I am am forever changed um, for the better by going through that and saying that look, what matters most to me is living a life of integrity and character, being the person that I say I'm going to be. And you know, this conversation helps me do that. This conversation says, hey, you know what? By saying these words, I'm better go live it right now because that's accountability. Yeah. So one of the ways we can form accountability in this is by speaking into existence sometimes. Sometimes we need to say, hey, I'm announcing to you that this is who I'm going to be. And I expect you to hold me to that. Uh, and that's a really helpful thing, too. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. You know, you said something really powerful, and I, I want to go back to it. You said resources, there are a lot of resources that help us to think well. And I'm going to make a statement here. I, I, I've read six, what, 15 or 16 books already this year. I read about 50 books a year. I love education and I love knowledge. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm voracious at pursuing knowledge. So, so just understand what I'm saying here. I believe that what you're saying is so powerful because I believe this. I believe in the church, intellectualism is ruining masculinity. It is ruining masculinity as we know it because in the church we are 
we have over-intellectualized our faith, and on social media, we have over-intellectualized our responses and threads, and we have under-emphasized the, the raw potential in exertion and, and in hard work. You're an athlete. You know this. Talk, talk to us. What do you think about that statement? Am I uh, off there? You're so good. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. You know, it, I think what's important is what Jesus says about this is like, examine the fruit. What is the fruit that's produced? And I think that's so important because if you look at the church in America, the modern church of what we're seeing, when um, intellectual pursuit and an intellectual understanding of God has been the focus, like doctrine, theology, really getting our, our T's crossed and our I's dotted in who God is and who we say he is and our interpretation of it, right? What fruit does that produce? It produces division, it produces infighting, and it produces distraction from the real work at hand, which is what Jesus did in his life. His life, yeah, sure, he debated with the Pharisees and scribes more so because he was trying to teach people and they came in attacking him. It wasn't because that was his goal. What he did was he went to the people that they were missing out on, they were avoiding, they were not engaging with, and actually did the dirty work of caring for them by love in action, right? Love is an action. It's not this intellectual pursuit. And so people will feel that love by the actions you do and the life you live and fulfilling the calling that God has on your life, especially as a man. So I just like the question, what is the fruit being produced here? Because we can learn a lot from the fruit. You know them by the fruit. And it yes. will better direct us into the, the path that God has for us. Well, and in your book, you talk about something that runs uh, parallel to this concept. And I go back to your rhomboid, which is in the shoulder, not the rear end. You know, that, that without using that muscle, we tend to lose it right so mm -hmm. you call this uh i call this the fight against apathy over entropy and in mm. your book you said entropy happens by chance growth does not you continue and you say growth takes effort but typically it isn't some herculean effort that's required and mm. i just think that is so good man can you unpack entropy and how we must battle that mm-hmm yeah, entropy, that second, I think it's the second law of thermodynamics that says that um, things naturally decay, right? Without, without a force or an effort, things will decay. And that's definitely true, like we talked about earlier, going downstream. The natural order is decay. Um, so effort is always required. Um, and, you know, it, it's this idea that uh, life will not automatically attach itself to your purpose. It will not... Um, automatically lead you to where you want to go. And, and we really have to um, recognize, be aware of that in order to give us the fuel to keep going. And, and again, remember that it's not about jumping the 10th step. It's about taking the next step. Because really, the faith that's praised most by Jesus is a faith that's the size of a mustard seed. It's not some um, crazy faith that like God is going to radically um, change everything in my day right now it's saying no by doing this simple act of faith of maybe just praying and seeking him for five minutes that's going to impact my day in ways beyond that i can even imagine right it's a simple faith it's a simple faith of so many people throughout scriptures you see just saying hey i don't know but i i do know who god is and what he's called me to and so i'm just going to take the next step and and you know the next day i'm going to take that next step 
And it's not this really sexy, glamorous thing. I think we all get, especially in today's world, we get lost in the image and the persona and these images of success and, yeah, the phone, right? So it, it's not that. It's very unsexy. It's very non-glamorous. And it's simple but not easy. I think that simple but not easy is really the core of it. It's simple but not easy. It's like grace. It's free but it ain't cheap. <laughs> right. There's so many paradoxes. And one of them that in your book, I really appreciated when you talk about this not being sexy component of of of, of achieving and living by hope is something is this paradox of life is definitive and descriptive. Can you you know, in your book, you said that God is that right. He's both definitive and descriptive. But we live in a world that is not definitive. It's we we don't have a lot of moral absolutes. So can you walk us through this tension between definitive and descriptive and explain yeah. what they are? Yeah, it's an interesting concept. You know, I yes. use kind of the illustration of um, MLK, right, giving his speech and and saying, um, you know, I have a dream, um, and this idea that like that is uh, descriptive versus definitive in the sense that if he said. I had a dream that's defining what happened. Descriptive is carrying it forward, saying it's still happening. Um, I'm still carrying this forward. And so that difference is, is a really interesting distinction um, that I think gives a lot of hope, right? That, um, that again, it's not final, it's not, it's not in, we haven't reached a destination, we haven't arrived, but we're actually in process. Um, so the fact that something is descriptive is, is saying that you know, it's, it's still continuing to happen. Right. And I think that's, what's cool about God is being both is that he's defined and this is who God is. He doesn't change, but what he's doing is still moving and moving forward and still furthering. It's not, it's not over, right? It's not, it's, it's still in process and it's still being described through our actions and our partnership with him. And it's just a kind of a fun word play that allows us to understand how much in our life, it, are we defining versus describing? Because if we define things and that ends up eliminating what God can do through it. But if we describe it, then we leave it open to God continuing to work through those narratives or stories that we experience in our own life. No, that's really good, man. And, and this is what I appreciate about your book. You know, I got to tell you the story. I was in Montgomery, Alabama last week for a speaking engagement. And I went, which is the state capital, by the way, of Alabama. And when I went there, uh, on one side of the street is Martin Luther King Jr. You just mentioned him. His his church, a hundred yards from there, is the first ever Confederate Capitol building, and I thought, wow, what a paradox, what a tension between the two, you know. And uh, I'm, we're we're running out of time here, man. But I want to I want to end with this one because this is another paradox that you bring up in uh, uh, having this life of hope. And, and it's this. On page 28, you talk about making life happen versus letting life happen. Can you unpack that? Yeah. You know, my tendency is to make life happen. Um, and, uh, and letting life happen is a much freer place to be in the sense that when we understand that we don't control hardly anything other than our thoughts or even our actions, then we can understand that there's way way less things that we can control and we should spend way less time trying to control them. If we can just focus on ourselves and saying, look, um, I can't control most things outside myself, but what I can't control is taking the next step and I can't control who I am and what I'm trying to do. Then I'm going to spend most of my energy on that and let the rest be. Um, and I think that's the place God wants us to be in the sense that 
God doesn't call us to figure out all aspects of who he is. He just calls us to be faithful to follow him. God doesn't call us to to resolve every political tension in the world. He just calls us to try and redeem it for his good, right? God doesn't call us to um, to convince everyone of our specific interpretation of his scriptures. He calls us to be, pursue unity and love. <laughs> so it's stop controlling the things you can't control and focus on yourself. Isn't that... Isn't that the message of the book, in essence? Stop mm-hmm. controlling things you can't control and control yourself. When you grab a hold of that concept that you just put out there, that brings us hope. And that's mm-hmm. the, that's what the whole book is about, man. So I, I appreciate that. So, hey, Thane, so how can our guys get in touch with you if they want some personal coaching or if they want to get a hold of your resources? Yeah, thanks so much, Jim. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, ThaneMarcus.com is the headquarters for all that I do. I've got links on there, books, podcasts, online course, or you can reach out. I'd love to start a conversation with anyone. Um, I'm, you can tell I'm pretty pumped up and energized about the stuff, and it, nothing gives me more joy than coming alongside others in the journey. No, it's just fun to partner with guys like you and to put some younger guys on our shoulders and, and, and just really highlight you and, and put you out there. So really do appreciate you and your heart and what you're doing, man. Uh, this conversation was over way too quick, so we might have to do a part two. So appreciate that. Hey, guys, let's get some boots on the ground here. What are we going to do because of what we heard from Thane and his book? What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? So I'm going to give you two potentials here. One is go hit Thane up on his website and look at the stuff he's written on figuring out your purpose. Uh, the other is to go to listen to episode 415 on the Men Arena podcast where I outline how do you craft your purpose statement. So we want you to find that purpose. Remember, it is your superpower. Thane, thanks so much. Come on the show. Dale, drive us home, brother. Yeah, guys. Come on. Come on. Yeah, guys, head on over to menintherena.org and get your free download of Jim's book. Also, leave us a positive review on the podcast or email us at info at menintherena.org. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at menintheArena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.